Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Emergency episode of Bustin' Loose Baseball. Juan Soto traded to the Padres. We're going to play a bunch of the interviews we did for you on our Grant and Danny DC show. They're all archived and available on this pod, but we also have a, a brand new breakdown that we're doing just for this podcast on the trade itself. You're going to hear, though, from Barry Sverlugo, who covers the Nationals for the Washington Post, Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline, who broke down all the prospects in the deal in detail, Mackenzie Gore, we got him on the phone not long after the deal to discuss coming to Washington. Uh, also, David Aldridge, a little bit of a different perspective, as so many of you guys who listen are interested, exciting about these prospects. You know, Aldridge feels like um, maybe they should have gotten something done with Soto and, and doesn't really know how to feel about this. I know plenty of you feel that way. Uh, Adam Eaton. Also hopped on our show as well to talk about the good old days with the Nationals in the 19 World Series and just how much things have changed in a very short time. So you'll hear all those interviews plus our trade breakdown on this emergency episode of Bustin' Loose Baseball. Enjoy it. Starts right now. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Grant Paul, Danny Ruye, and producer Darius Dameron, an emergency Boston loose baseball. Juan Soto and Josh Bell were both traded in the same trade to the same team, San Diego Padres, for six players returning to the Nationals. Quite a haul, but after weeks of speculation, it happened. Yeah, just like I said yesterday, it wasn't going to happen. Oh, wait, it happened. I don't know, man. What a complicated thing. Right, because and you said this on our regular show, Grant and Danny on 106.7 The Fan, and I think it was a very astute point. You're dead right. This is a seminal day in Nationals history, not in a good way necessarily. It's complicated, obviously, but this is one of those days you're going to remember. You were before this. It was you know when they won the World Series. You remembered when Steven Strasburg and Bryce Harper were drafted. You remember Jason Worth's home run. You remember when Max Scherzer was signed. This is now one of those. All-time days where the franchise really bottomed out after that World Series in 2019. They've been among the worst teams in baseball since then. All the old faces are gone. This is really a slamming of the door and end of that chapter where one of the best players through his age, 23, in the history of this game, his comparables are guys like Stan Musial, guys like Mickey Mantle. Uh, some of the all-time players have accomplished what he did through this age. It's very, very rare He's now the only guy that's ever been traded at this age or younger in the same year he was an all-star. And the hall is impressive. We'll go through it all. 
But man, oh man, what what a strange day for for people that follow this team and for fans. Yeah. So before we get into the return and the players coming back to Washington, some prospects that I really like, and a couple of young big leaguers as well. One of whom, Mackenzie Gore, as I mentioned, you'll hear we did a quick interview with not long after the trade went down on our show on 106.7 The Fan. But trading Juan Soto, man, is this tough. I mean, we're talking about one of the greatest young players in baseball right now, obviously, and all time to this point of his career. You know, generational talent who has a chance to go down as one of the best to ever play. I mean, really, legitimately, that's what we're talking about. The comparisons for him in terms of on-base percentage and OPS and you know the uh, offensive excellence to this point in his career, four seasons in, are comps that only really work if you put him side-by-side side with some of the greatest of all time. Ted Williams and, and Jimmy Fox and Honus Wagner and names like that that are you know, first ballot Hall of Famers and, and among the best to ever do it. So it is hard to trade Juan Soto. And if you guys are listening to this and you are sad, I agree. And if you're angry, I get that too. I don't think we can talk about trading Juan Soto and not getting a deal done with him to keep him for the long term without also talking about Trey Turner before that and Rendon before that and Harper before that and the fact that last year you had to see Max Scherzer traded. This has not been a fun few years for this fan base post-19 and post the World Series. And I totally get where the disdain and the anger and the upset is coming from. I just think that it was a reality, Danny, that Juan Soto was never going to resign. I came to that realization a few weeks ago. And if that's the case, and maybe I'm wrong, okay? And if I'm wrong about that, then I'm wrong about the rest of my theory here. But if I am right and he was not going to resign, then the best time to trade Juan Soto was right now. I keep reciting this because I love it from mm-hmm. fan graphs, but they said that the best time to trade Juan Soto is never. And the second best time is right now. And I, I really believe that. Like, yes, sign him. Do whatever it takes. When you find out he's not re-signing because he and Boris are going to break every record and get to the market. And I really believe that was the plan. Okay. Now I got to trade him. And I think that's what Rizzo decided. That's what the staff decided. And what they did was immediately they sent out a memo to every team and said, let us know if you're in. And the Cardinals, the Dodgers, and the Padres were the three that were most in. The Cardinals, it doesn't sound like, would include Dylan Carlson or Jordan Walker. The Padres and the Dodgers were the two teams that went back and forth. And here we are, man. The, the Padres gave me the best offer, which is not crazy or surprising because A.J. Preller is that dude. There are two ends to this uh, spectrum and refrains that you're hearing from people in, in all the different camps when it comes to Soto. And refrain number one is, the team that trades away the superstar, it never works out for them. Right? You've heard that a bunch. We'll get into it. The other end is, Paying a guy a mega contract doesn't usually work out for the team that does that, a.k.a. 550, 600, 650. Who knows where this uh, wheel stops spinning for, for Juan Soto and company and the challenge they're in to build. I mean, look at the Angels as as great examples. They've done this multiple, time, multiple times over with Mike Trout, with uh, uh, Anthony Rendon, with Albert Pujols. They haven't been very good. They've been a second division club. It's hard to build around those kinds of things. Everything is challenging uh, when you have somebody making that much money in you know this sort of salary cap style, luxury tax uh, type area that we're in, unless you're one of those teams that's kind of make up their own rules when it comes to TV deals like the Dodgers and, and, and the Yankees and, and such. So... There's a no-win situation here. 
if you operate from, which you and I have for for a while now, I, I think maybe I, I was you know on this for a long time. There was no offer that the, you, this organization realistically could put in front of Juan Soto that they were going to sign before free agency. I really believe that, and I believe that for some time. I think he's going to be a free agent. And if you're competing for championships, if they were the top of the division, this would not be a conversation right now. If you were as good as you were, averaging about 92 wins a year for eight years, from 2012 to 2019, we're not having this conversation. The bottom has fallen out. There are no reinforcements coming up from the minor leagues. There are no, there are no more Juan Sotos. There's no more guy that's next. There's no more this dude will help uh, carry the load, et cetera. This is something that makes a lot of practical sense. So, again, there was no win. There's no way to get 100 cents on the dollar for a, a, a future Hall of Famer in his prime that's in rarefied air. There's no way to win, necessarily, if you paid him everything that he asked for and more in two and a half years. I really believe that. I don't think the Nationals could rebuild their organization. You'd all of a sudden say, okay, let's say they spent $650 bucks on the guy over 15 years, whatever the asking price happens to be, $50 million a year, who knows, whatever it is, right? You're then basically saying, for 10 years just now, we just finished a run where they didn't draft very well, didn't develop very well. Now you have to do that because one guy is making an outrageous amount of money for your team. You've got to have 10,000 times the shooting percentage on prospects coming up through your organization that you've had before. You've got to be right way more often than you are. So you can't have a single Carter Keyboom, a single Victor Robles, a single guy that underachieves. Otherwise, you've got no chance to have a, a competitive roster year over year over year. This is painful because they've lost all the other guys before him. This isn't fun. But this is team building, and this is one of those band-aids you have to rip right off, in my opinion. Totally, but I just think that if you're a fan today, like the, the emotions are so mixed. Of I course they are, yes. We took calls from people who were on the verge of tears, right? We took calls from people that didn't know what to say to their kids. Like, I would hate to have a son or a daughter who loves this team who's 7, 8, 9, 10 years old. My daughter's 3, so she doesn't really get what a trade is, but she knows two names of players on this team, Juan Soto and Josh Bell, literally. I said to her, I said, hey, they're trading Juan Soto today probably. And she was like, oh, Josh Bell. And I said, well, they're probably trading him too. And she pretended to cry and, and got very sad. Now, I told her Screech was still there and everything was okay. But you know, there is something to it at some point. Like, I got a text from David Elfin who wrote for a long time, Washington Times, and he made an interesting point to me where he said, basically since 2006, there's always been a guy to go see with Ryan Zimmerman. Yep. There's always been someone at the ballpark from RFK on where that was Mr. National. That was the reason to be at the ballpark that day. It was Zim. Then it was Bryce or Strauss or Max. For a while, it was a lot of guys, honestly. Rendon and Turner. And then it was Soto. And for the first time, really, since probably before Zim graduated. I mean, think about that. Yeah. This is the earliest couple of weeks, months of the Nats. Like, There's no one there. And that's not very cool. Uh, and that's not great for the fans. And, and for that reason, I hope that they do lower ticket prices, honestly. It's not my job to, to make that call. But, you know, next year they shouldn't be charging the same for season tickets or, or daily games. We just saw the thing about, the you know, referencing the, the top five ticket prices. Mm -hmm. Like It's not a great time to be a Nats fan, obviously. Uh, having said that, here's the flip side of all this. I think they're in better shape organizationally today than they were 48 hours ago. I believe that they have a chance to be good in 2024 now in a way that they maybe didn't before this deal. I really like the return they got. They flooded their system. Uh, fan graphs is just one metric. You know, they, they rank all the systems. Eric Longenhagen we've had on the podcast. But they had the Nats ranked, I think, 25th out of 30 teams going into today. And they're now ranked 8th after this trade. 
And if you include Mackenzie Gore, who's literally just recently graduated within the last few weeks beyond prospect status, then they're actually fifth. You know, they went from like 25 to five. I was looking at MLB Pipeline, and you know, the Nationals' number one, number four, and number eight prospects in their system are the three guys they got back in this minor league deal in Hasselwood and Susana, which isn't to speak of Gore, who would be in the top three, and Abrams, who would be in the top three. You know, so really you're talking about like five of the top ten guys in their organization come from this deal. It is an, a complete game changer. Yes. Mike Rizzo said, I would consider making the trade if I can change the game, if I can help us to win now and beyond. Well, this isn't a franchise-altering, kind of industry-altering, maybe, package. Like, we've never seen anything like this. They got more back than any team has ever gotten back in compensation in a trade of a, a veteran player. It's because they traded a 23-year-old All-Star, which hasn't happened, and you know, they traded a player the likes of which we haven't really seen move since, I don't even know when, like Babe Ruth or something? I'm, I'm not sure. But, I mean, that's not hyperbole. That's serious. Yeah. I mean, really. I mean, Miguel Cabrera is the best recent comp, but that's not even a particularly good one. But let's talk about the, the package, and maybe we can come back to the big picture Nat stuff in a bit. So you get Robert Hassel, who's an outfielder right now in A-plus ball. James Wood, who is an outfielder in A-ball. Jarlin Susana, who's a rookie ball, 18-year-old right-handed pitcher, and then Abrams and Gore, as well as Luke Voigt, who will be in the major leagues the rest of this season. Big-time homer, 22 home runs in the uh, pandemic season. 2020 season, yeah. Who was only put into the deal because Eric Hosmer said he wasn't coming to D.C. <laughs> Had a no-trade clause and basically said no, which worked out fine because even though they were going to pick up his three years and his $39 million, uh, you know, Hosmer's a better player than... than uh, than Voight, but whatever. I mean, you, you get a guy with some thump that can hit the ball over the fence. Really, the deal has nothing to do with him. I mean, he'll be here. He's controllable. I'd imagine they'll keep him you know, rather than flipping him this offseason, but we'll see. Uh, he'll play a lot of first base and DH the rest of this season, and they'll reassess. But let's talk about the five guys that truly matter here, with all due respect to Voight. So starting with Robert Hassel. I just watched him in the Futures game. He's 20 years old. He's a left-handed bat. He was the eighth pick for the Padres in the 2020 draft. About 6'2 and 200. He's got a plus hit tool with average power. He's an above average runner. He's got an above average arm, and he's an above average fielder. He's played center field and can play some corner outfield. Whether or not he stays in center is a question mark. We can ask Jim Callis about that. You'll hear the breakdown he gives you on Robert Hassel in a bit. He's the prospects expert. But this is a guy who was the first Tennessee prep player selected in the first round since 1986. I mean, he's been breaking barriers for a while in his region, and then on Team USA, in the Under-18 World Cup in South Korea, he led the team in every category. 514 average, 548 slug, 886 um, slug, and a 548 on base. Uh, really, really good player. One of the top probably 20 prospects in the game. One of the better hitters in the minors. He feels like a centerpiece. Probably not the highest ceiling guy in the deal, but certainly the surest. Bet. Highest floor, I'd say, be right? like a really good big leaguer. So... You've you've seen a lot more than I have, obviously, but the comp that comes to mind for me is Michael Brantley, right? Occasional power, but it's really bat to ball, pretty smooth, probably a better defender ultimately, maybe than than, than Brantley settled into, but a good major league hitter, right? Where a guy that's can you know can hit towards the top of a of a really good order one day. Is that a fair kind of assessment? Would you say? I don't hate that. I've never heard that. That's pretty. I mean, that's interesting to me because yeah, he's he's an I think he's a hit tool guy more maybe than maybe over a power straight guy. pop, yeah. 
Like, I'm thinking he hits 300 with 22 bombs or something and plays a good outfield. That feels like Brantley. Yeah. So, and left-handed bat, so that, that all works. Career 301 hitter for t- two seasons now in the minors. Uh, 11 homers last year. He's got 10 this year, uh, having played in uh, 75 games. And he's also got 20 steals. He stole 34 bags last year. So that's the only issue I have with Brantley is Brantley's never really run. No. Maybe early in his career a little bit. But, I mean, this guy could – I think he's a 20-20 player in the big leagues. Uh, I'd love to see him stay in center field because his value even humps up a level mm-hmm. and, and kind of jumps if he stays there. But I think he probably moves to a corner. But you know, if you were asking me to rank, like, my top 15 or so players in the minors right now, I would name Robert Hassel. He comes back in this deal. A man crush of mine for a little while has been James Wood, who also is in this package. Now, there is way more guesswork here, okay? He's more raw. He's further away. He's 19 years old, a left-handed bat. Hassel was drafted eighth overall two years ago. Wood was drafted 62nd overall last year. Actually would have been drafted a lot higher out of IMG Academy, but some teams thought they might not be able to sign him, and there's some swing and miss questions that he's since answered with a swing adjustment. But if, if he was in this year's draft, I think he would go in the top 10. I really believe that. Uh, that just passed. But he's massive, like Judge Ian, right? Like yep. 6'7", 240, and an unbelievable athlete. He played basketball locally at St. John's College High School in D.C., and he transferred to IMG Academy where he was teammates with Elijah Green, who the Nationals just drafted. Uh, he got first-round money, over $2.5 million, even though he was picked 62nd. The Padres kind of knew what they were getting. Uh, he is a... I think the biggest question about him is the hit tool. It's why I didn't love him coming out, and I was wrong about him. I now love him, and it's too late to, to buy stock. Uh, it costs too much. But, like, the power is legit, and that's plus, above average. The run is plus at 6'7", which is crazy. And the arm in the outfield and his fielding ability are both above average, in my opinion. The only question is, is this guy going to hit? Now, this year, he's hitting 321. Last year, he hit 372, so it's funny to say that. It's low levels of the minors, rookie ball and A ball. And he's played 81 games, and he's got a 336 career batting average. But it's but easy if, to dream on. yeah. Oh, yeah. But if you deal with more velocity with the long levers, I mean, you could speak more to swing mechanics mm-hmm. than I can. Like, it's hard for guys that are that size. There just aren't that many guys that are six seven or bigger who have been great hitters. What I think ultimately is this guy hits 30 homers, could steal 30 bases maybe. Like, that's what you dream on. And maybe hits 275 along the way, plays corner outfield, there's a chance he becomes a star. So I'll shut up now, but, I mean, I, I just love James Wood. I, I could talk about him forever. I think he might go to Fredericksburg, it sounds like, right away, which gives me the steamies to go down 95. Well, it's certainly enticing because, again, they don't make many guys like this. He probably got lost on the way to tight end practice and ended yeah. up with a bat in his hand and is now just hitting tanks. But the Judge is obviously the comp. I mean, Stanton as well, I suppose. But both guys could have been, you know, Division One football players catching passes. And of course, you, you you bulk up enough and you get bat to ball. When you're that big and strong, simplification is the key, right? Small guys like I don't know, you could pick. Like we have Adam Eaton on coming up later on. Adam Eaton's going to have to have a leg kick. Adam Eaton's going to have to have a big load. He's going to have to have a big hip turn, and he's got to guess right and open up and you know get barrel to ball and get the right launch angle. You could flick your wrists if you're Aaron Judge. You could just make contact on the barrel, and your fly balls that would be lazy 250-foot flyouts for everyone else or 420-foot wall scrapers for you out of center field. He's got a chance to be an absolute superstar. And, and it pairs well, frankly, with Elijah Green as well in, in, in the Nats minor league system already. The ceiling on those guys, both 
because the scouting report reads pretty similar for each guy and a world, obviously world-class athlete. We're talking about potential pro baseball players, but even among that group, someone who's that big and that strong just simply shouldn't be as fast as they are. Both those guys could be just, just, you know, just predator drones out in the outfield, right. running everything down and hitting tanks in, in the middle of this order for years to come. I mean, it never works out. Of course. That all the prospects that you think are going to be great become great or that, you know, you hit on all those guys. But I'm dreaming about a potential outfield of Elijah Green, James Wood, and Robert Hassel. I mean, that's now what you can kind of salivate about mm-hmm. a little bit if you're the Nationals. And oftentimes, like Victor Robles at one point was a top five prospects in baseball. You, you just, you don't know, you never right? Know. And I, I admit to that, and I get that. Uh, the Mariners had a, a Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez thing basically a year and a half ago where everyone was debating who would you take, Kelnick or Rodriguez? And it was like, I, I would have guests on my show, and that was a big question every week for prospects people. Who would you rather have, Julio Rodriguez or Jared Kelnick? I mean, think look, look how dumb that sounds now. <laughs> That's when those guys were, were in the upper levels of the minors, oh, by the way. So my point is, it, it's an inexact science, but you can now start to kind of think about that a little bit. I do love that there's some D.C. ties for James Wood, who's a Rockville, Maryland kid. Super high character from all the people I've talked to that, that know him. Uh, dating back to watching him at IMG Academy and beyond. Um, as I said, a little bit further away, a little more guesswork. I understand that. I was told, and I think this made it made the rounds today with a bunch of reporters, so someone was talking to, to a lot of people, but I was told that the Padres really didn't want to include him in the deal and that Hassel was kind of easier for them to put into the deal than James Wood, which is funny because Hassel's their top guy, according to Pipeline and a lot of other places. But James Wood was the one where it's like, we can't give you Hassel and Wood. And the Nats, probably by packaging Josh Bell, uh, were able to get both of them. Now, the next prospect I want to talk about is Jarlin Susana, who they also apparently love. I mean, in fact, Mike Rizzo... Went out of his way, didn't he? He gave a great breakdown uh, on Jarlin Susana. The least known of the... The youngest and least known uh, of the group is is possibly the highest upside of the group. Uh, uh, the, the, that was the, the piece that we really coveted and really wanted after, after the, you know, what we call the elite four. Uh, and, uh, Susanna is a, is a 18 year old, uh, Dominican right-handed pitcher that's six foot six. He's got a good clean delivery. He throws the ball hard. He's 98. We saw him twice in the last week, uh, last two weeks. He's up to 102 miles an hour with a breaking pitch and a good feel for a changeup. Uh, you know, he's a guy that who is high school age, and we believe that if he, if he was in this 2022 draft, he'd have been a, he would have been a high to mid first round pick. And uh, we, we that was a that was a, a player that we really coveted. I wanted people to hear that yeah. because Rizzo went hard in the paint. I mean, he just, you know, seems to really like the guy, and I know that he's selling it to the to the fans, and he's going to put him over. And, I mean, you're trying to basically walk out of the, the tunnel as a WWE uh, wrestler trying to get a pop. But it's an 18-year-old who's upper 90s touching 102 in his last start, 155 average against and a .8 whip in rookie ball with 44 punches and 29 innings. You and I saw a video that I was sent from someone mm-hmm. of him throwing. He's so big. He's six six and two forty. And I mean, you just kind of—it's what you're looking for in the front of a rotation. Now I get that this is a lottery ticket because when you're right-handed and a teenager and you throw a hundred, there's probably a, a surgery coming at some point. And I understand all the potential pitfalls down the road, but when you make a trade. And you get an 18-year-old who throws 100 with an 89-mile-an-hour slider back as the last guy in the deal. 
It's a pretty damn good deal. And not only is he the second guy or the third guy, he's the fifth guy in the deal. That's nuts. It is nuts. And, and again, it's easy to dream on. I mean, you could see the upside. You could close your eyes and kind of you know envision that future a handful of years from now, breaking into the big leagues. Um, that video you mentioned, it, it's hard to quantify uh, unless you've seen it. And you guys know this when, when you go. You think about how now everybody throws so hard at the major league level, and even in the minor league level. Heck, in high school, guys are throwing harder than they ever have. And you've we've done all these things with biomechanics, and we've done all these things where we're maximizing torque and leverage and turn and creating resistance and all these different kinds of flexibility things. We know more now than we ever have when it, when it comes to instructing kids and players how to throw harder than they ever have. Well, every generation has a freak. Every generation has a guy like Ken Griffey Jr. who's skinny as a rail but can hit the ball 500 feet. They got a Mickey Mantle, a guy that can hit nukes and also run like a deer. Well, they sometimes also have pitchers that are like that. This kid, when he's just flicking the ball out of his hand, looks like he's throwing in the upper 90s. It looks like it's the most effortless, relaxed, casual thing. It's like, I'd like some M&Ms, 100 miles an hour, and give me a juju fruit. Like, it's unbelievable watching him do it. And that's without kind of harnessing the lightning and all these sort of, again, biomechanical enhancements that everybody has kind of gotten used to. So, of course, you dream on a prospect like that at 18 years old who just looks like he's you know oozing with talent and, and potential. So, yeah, I mean, I think Rizzo maybe even said that if he was in the draft this year, this would be a, another first-round pick for them. So just think about what they're adding. Next player we'll get to is a guy who's been in the big league, C.J. Abrams, who was in the majors, really, really struggled, got sent down back in the majors and has been better uh, numbers this year at the major league level for CJ Abrams playing shortstop for San Diego. Haven't been great in 46 games, 232 average 605 OPS. It's been a scuffle for him. You know, in a normal situation, you just let him play and develop the Padres are in win now mode and, and he is expendable defensively. He can stay up the middle. He has played 32 games at shortstop with 28 starts. He's also made a start in right field. He's played a handful of games at second, uh, in the minor leagues, he's played some center field this season, uh, twice, which speaks to his athleticism as well. Uh, but he's, you know, up the middle defender who I think is really interesting because he's, I think people sleep on this. He's 21 years old, man. Mm-hmm. You expect these guys to get to the big leagues and to just right away thrive, and it doesn't always happen that way. In his 30 games in AAA between you know, starting and, and now being back in the major leagues this year, he hit 315 with an 870 OPS seven home runs in, in about uh, 140 at-bats. I mean, it was kind of the, the, exactly what you're looking for from a AAA player, and at a young age, like four years younger than the competition on average at that level as a 21-year-old. You're going to hear from Jim Callis. I think he brought this up when we talked to him, but you realize he's only played total like 106 games of minor league baseball, and he's already played 46 games of major league baseball? Very strange. Partially because of the 2020 pandemic where he lost 100 games of development. But, I mean, they didn't slow him down. They're they're the opposite of the Nats. They're aggressive. They're like, okay, you're ready. Go to the next level. Yeah, if if Tatis was playing healthy all this year, he'd still be a triple-A getting in bats every single day. But he was kind of forced into action there at the the big league level because they're trying to win right now this minute, and he was one of the best 25, 26 guys in their org. That's a good point. Right? And they wanted to give him a shot, and he struggled. But he went back down, and he killed it. So they go, let's call him back up. Sixth pick in the 2019 draft. You'll notice a lot of these guys, top of the board picks for the Padres. Uh, And he went, you know, that was out of high school. And he went from high school to the major leagues in the span of three years. Not too shabby. He'll start a triple A, according to what we've seen for for the Nationals, being able to play every day. What do you make of this? They they love doing this bit. They did it with K-Bert Ruiz where they say, we're going to let him learn the organization at triple A and he'll be up in 10 days or whatever. What does that even mean? I'm not sure exactly what that means, to be honest with you. 
I, I wish I did. I would tell you, I go, oh, I speak Rizzo or I speak Nationals. I don't. I because don't get that. I'm just thinking out loud, and feel free to tell me I'm a fact of a goo, but wouldn't you rather learn the organization at the major? Like, you're going to be in the big leagues in two weeks. So learn where the clubhouse is and where, where we get our sunflower seeds from. Yeah, it's like where who, the Chipotle is from your apartment right across from Nats Park. You know, What's the benefit to learning, and I'm using air quotes, you can't see, learning the organization at a level that you're not going to be at in a couple weeks? In Rochester. Again, I don't know. I don't know what that means exactly. But I think it just means they, they, they don't think he's quite everyday big league ready. And, you know, I mean, listen, for a club they essentially that's, said he'll be up in a couple weeks. Yeah, for a club that's going to lose 110 games, I don't really know what the difference is. That's I, Again, I don't know. I don't quite understand that one. I'll be honest with you. I'm excited to see him when he gets here in two weeks. You keep saying I don't know, and I just keep asking you. Like, what? but why? Well, and this is my policy. I invented it. He's going to learn the organization, Grant. Why don't you get it? Here, I guess, is my point. I know it's a small sample. He's 10 for 31 over his last 15 games. That's a 323 average in the major leagues with a playoff-bound Padres team. He can't play for this team in Washington. Luis Garcia is committing an error every four games, basically, at this point. Statistically, maybe it's five, but I think he's he's on average it would be like a 35, 40 error season or something crazy. I need him moved to second base like yesterday, and and just get this guy to the big leagues to play shortstop. With the Padres, he's got an OPS of close to eight hundred over the last two weeks, but the Nats are like, no, 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 he's not ready to play for us. Well, has he learned the organization yet? Answer that question. You can't. I mean, he's twenty one, so whatever. He's young. Uh, last one, Mackenzie Gore, and again, you'll hear uh, our, it's a very quick conversation. We just wanted to get him on the horn for a couple of minutes uh, after the trade to, to try to get to know him a little bit. Um, Mackenzie Gore was at one point in time the best pitching prospect in baseball. He graduated to the major leagues for the Padres this year, and he got off to an unbelievable start this season. He was the front runner for NL Rookie of the Year through like five or six starts. If you go back, uh, through, I'm just looking at it now. In May, in 26 innings, he had a 1.69 ERA. Five games, four starts, and he had a 204 average against. In April, he made three starts, 15 in the third innings, a 1.76 ERA. So basically, April and May combined, a sub-2 ERA and close to 10 starts. Since then, he threw six scoreless in his first start of June. It's been very rocky. His velocity's dropped a little bit. Uh, he got... Rocked by the Rockies, six runs, two and a third. Then he went in cores, got hit around for nine hits and eight runs, threw five scoreless against the Phillies, but has had you know, a much better month, I'd say, in July. Five and two-thirds, one run against the Dodgers. Um, and then you know San Francisco got hit pretty hard, eight hits, eight runs. The last two outings, though, he, you know, ha- he came in and pitched for a batter, and then an inning and a third, he was removed from the game. But both of those were in relief. I think they saw his velocity was dipping a little bit, maybe, Danny, and they were trying to get creative right after the All-Star break to, to start to save some of the innings or something. But point being, he's on the injured list. He was losing some velocity. His elbow was, was barking a little bit. He tells us it's minimal, and I hope that's the case. But you always kind of have to hold your breath. But he was a number three pick who was the number one prospect among all pitchers who Rizzo made it seem like they think is potentially a frontline starter. So I saw happen to catch two of his early games this year in April, back-to-back starts against Cincinnati over the span of a week. And over 10 innings, he gave up one run and struck out 17 hitters. I, I was blown away. So he's my favorite player in this. Now, that's easy to say. It's easy to cherry pick because he was the number one pitching prospect in, in the major leagues not too long ago. Uh, and he's already had some success at the big league level that you touched on. But that dude was just nasty. 
I saw that. Now, I didn't see every start that he's made in San Diego. Obviously, it's hard to, to watch every game uh, that way, especially when they're on the opposite coast. But, you know, I didn't see some of the slip-ups, the velocity drop, and et cetera. I saw a dude that was 96 to 98. His changeup was nasty. His slider was as good an out pitch as there was. And he could also throw his curveball for a strike just to get you off that. And he was owning the mound. He looked like he looked the part. Like, not only was I, hey, I'm happy to be here. I'll throw whatever the catcher says. He looked like the baddest mother in the valley. And having seen that, that's what I can't get out of my mind. Now, granted, that Cincinnati lineup, that was at the time where they were losing more games than anybody's ever lost outside of the 89 Orioles to start the season. Cincinnati started the year like 1 in 205, numbers approximate, and he's shoving on a bad team. I don't care. I saw that dude as dark and filthy and evil as, as you're going to see. That's what I want to see again. I'm enticed by that. Yeah, how could you not be? So those are the five players that come back, and then you add in Luke Voigt, who, as I said, I mean, as we tape this podcast here, the Nats are getting ready to play their first game in the post-Soto era, and the lineup includes uh, Manessis at first and Palacios and right. So there's going to be some room for Luke Voigt here as they've called up a couple of Rochester Red Wings over the duration of the season in the game. Uh, where starting pitcher Abbott. I mean, good good luck uh, with NAS fans knowing who that is. Who's who's he playing? Who's he pitching against tonight? Who's his opposite number? Just Jacob Degrom. Cool. Everything's fine. Um, but the lineup first game ever without Juan Soto is Robles, Garcia, Yachty's hitting third, Nelson Cruz, who's still here somehow, <sighs> hitting fourth. K. Barrett Ruiz bats fifth, and then Manessis, Palacios, Hernandez, and Franco. Which it's just funny to say out loud. Oh, man. Uh, all right. How about uh, before we? We wind this down with a couple more takes on the deadline, and then you'll hear some of our chats with uh, some smart people. Josh Bell packaged into the same deal. They did this with Scherzer and yes. Turner for the Dodgers. What do we think about that? So it's interesting. Barry Sfalugo, and you'll hear from him in, in a few moments, um, reference this as well. I, You know, you wonder if you get more if you just have a separate deal that involves Josh Bell straight up for somebody else. Like if you traded Josh Bell, for sake of argument, to the Cardinals, not that they needed him. Would you have gotten one of their mid-level prospects as kind of a rental? Or does that really turn the dial up enough with the Padres to get that one extra prospect, that one extra frontline guy? Because it's Soto, you're really talking about four years total of controllability between the two of them, right? Where you've got one pennant race for Bell and that's it, where he's under control, and then two and a half or so to actually be a total of three. I'm sure my math is good. So maybe that gets you more. I don't know. It's an interesting question, but it seems to be the pattern here of late where you're already in business dealing with one team. You sort of stay dealing with them. And it's like a you know a fantasy trade almost where it's like, hey, I know you need a quarterback, but you, you could also use a third wide receiver in my fantasy deal. So why don't I do a package thing where I give you the best quarterback and the fourth best wide receiver. You give me the second best running back. You sort of do the math that way. And it's kind of worked out. It's interesting that it's happened two straight years, but it's hard to argue with the hall, especially this year. Bell was a great national. He was a really, really good player. Um, you take away the first six weeks or so after he had COVID, and he really struggled, I always say, chasing his tail when you're trying to get up to speed without you know, the end of spring training and, and then getting healthy. But uh, after that, I thought he was just awesome. And it was a great win of a trade by Rizzo, who wins a lot of the trades that he does. And I give him credit for that. I mean, For all the faults that I have and the issues I have with some of the development and draft things over the years, I mean, they have hit home run after home run yes, in trades. Have. Um, you know, this one is probably going to be impossible to win because you, you traded Juan Soto. Mm -hmm. You can't win a trade where you trade Juan Soto, but hopefully it, it resets things for them and, and benefits them in, in some way moving forward in, in a different way. Uh, but it, uh, specific to Bell, I'm rooting for him. I love the guy. He did some good things in the community. I love his book club with the kids in D.C. And uh, he was just a great nat. Hit 300, 877 OPS this year. Swing adjustments, more contact, less strikeouts, and you know, all stuff that I really admire 
about his game, and uh, he has a chance now to go win. I mean, after years in Pittsburgh and coming here and being part of a bad Nats team the last couple of years. That's a good point. It's cool to see him go to San Diego where they're now chasing a title. He'll be a free agent at year's end, and he's going to get paid. You know, maybe Washington negotiates with him and tries to bring him back. I guess we'll see. Um, all right, rest of the trade deadline. They didn't do anything else. I'm, I'm really shocked I'm by surprised that. by that, aren't you? Why? Like, nobody would have given you a, a baseball for Nelson Cruz. You, you couldn't have gotten a, a sub from Cornucopia for, uh, any, you know, Carl Edwards Jr.? Couldn't have gotten a Carl's Edwards burger? What is it? We talked about Carl's Jr. does Carl's the burger. Carl's yeah. Jr. burger for mm-hmm. Carl's Edwards Jr.? What a dad joke. What a bad dad joke. Skip past that. Use your 15-second skip on the podcast on that joke. Um, nothing? We, I'm surprised, man. So it, 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 it sort of struck me that, and I really respect them for doing this, obviously, for, for standing in front of the media, but Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez spoke pregame today at like 4 p.m., and the deadline's at 6 and we aired it on 1067 The Fan on the Grant and Danny show. And the whole time he was he was talking, I'm like, thank you for this, but don't you have to go back to your office? Like, I really appreciate you giving me all these this info, especially how teary it was to say goodbye to Juan Soto. Thank you so much. Could you go field some calls? You gotta move Kyle Finnegan, bro. You gotta you gotta send him somewhere along with Carl Edwards and Steve Ciszek for a bag of baseballs and an Arby's Big Montana. Like, let's go, man. It's time. And I'm really surprised they didn't do anything else, to be honest with you. I get the sense. There may not have been a marketplace at all for some of those, but, you know, some of those veteran uh, relievers they have. I mean, maybe I'm just being silly and foolish because I I play fantasy baseball from my chair. Maybe they view it as there's a value to him as a leader and a veteran in this clubhouse to get us to the finish line. You mean Cruz? Cruz specifically. Yeah. Any of these guys for that matter. Sure. But yeah, I should have specified. I'm talking about Cruz. I would have legitimately traded him for. A, a, a non-prospect, you know, give me the the 33rd guy in your system. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. hey, that double-A outfielder who's not a prospect according to Pipeline or anything. I saw him go three for four a couple days ago. Give me that guy. Why not? What is the point of holding on to him? Uh, I, Edwards, I thought, would be traded. Ciszek, I thought, pitching the way that he did. I think he'd been scoreless in 13 of his last 14 or something like that. Uh, has been good. Um, you know, they, they couldn't make that work. I don't know, Rasmo Ramirez. Like, teams don't just want Jag relievers. I, I, you always see Jag relievers traded at the deadline. I'm just stunned. It was one trade. Now, luckily, they 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 got the trade done to get all the prospects back. And they, they got Bell and Soto done in one fell swoop. But I don't know. Even if they would have traded the controllable quality Kyle Finnegan in the back of their bullpen and gotten two or three arms a la what the Orioles have been doing the last few days, like, that would have made sense to me. Well, my final thought on, on this with those guys is we have spoken directly to Mike Rizzo on the record, off the record, everything in between. We, you and I both know exactly how he feels about bullpens and bullpen arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do it later. I mean, they, the, the 98 win team in 2012 had Brad Lidge and Henry Rodriguez as co-closers. They won mid nineties games with Rafael Soriano. They had, you know, plans on the fly each and every year, even when they were an excellent team, they'd have a garbage bullpen and Rizzo would trade some middling prospect to to go get your Daniel Hudson and the Sean Doolittles and, and, and whatever else just to just to make it happen. I'm really stunned he didn't move on from those guys for like you're talking about. Who's who's your sixty-fourth best prospect in the organization right now? A twenty-seven-year-old at A ball? Sold. Come on, pick him up, send him our way. You know, like we'll we'll get you a Greyhound ticket and uh and uh, and and a, and a Powerade. I don't know. It was weird, man. 
So there's more to cover and there's more angles to tackle and we can get into the fact that the 19 era is over and, and they didn't keep any of those guys. Uh, but we're not going to do it all in this podcast, obviously. Wanted to just give you something quick and reactionary here this evening that you can uh, enjoy while you cut the grass or go to work or whatever it is that you're doing. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Here's some of the best of of our DC show with some interviews that we thought uh, just made too much sense not to throw in and, and give you some extra content here. You're going to hear from Barry Sverluga on uh, the, the trade who, who covered everything today for the Washington Post. Jim Callis, who breaks down all the prospects. Mackenzie Gore, the Padre coming to the Nationals in this deal. David Aldridge, a little different uh, angle, I guess, as, as he was very pro kind of keeping Soto and, yeah. and just seeing what happens in the future. And then Adam Eaton reminiscing with us about 19. So enjoy some of these chats, starting with Sverluga, not long after the trade had happened. I kind of feel like the organization, as painful and weird and unemotional as this is to say, I, I feel like the organization is in a better place at 2.30 p.m. on on Tuesday than it was at 2.30 p.m. on, on Monday. And that's a, that's a hard conclusion to, to reach because you have so much locked into Juan Soto over time. He is the known character in this equation. He is known both for what he can do in the present, what he has done in the past and what people believe he will do in the future. And the players you're getting in return five or I guess six players in total from the Padres um, at least five of them are just names and ages and stats and minor league levels um, written in black and white. So there's a lot of unknowns, but if you, you know, Grant, I'm sure you are a fan graphs guy. If, if fan graphs is telling me um, that the nationals entered the day with the 24th ranked farm system in the, in 
Major League Baseball. And at the end of the day, if you include um, Mackenzie Gore in the deal as a prospect, they would have the fifth best farm system uh, in the in the majors. I'd say you did the right thing for the organization because it certainly felt like Juan Soto was headed toward free agency. Barry, a lot of fans are mad. I don't begrudge that uh, today. Mad, sad, whatever you want to kind of put in there. Just not happy to, to not have this superstar in town anymore. What do you say to them? Oh, I, I get it, Danny. I mean, and, and that's why I think it's hard when when you're entrusted with running a baseball front office and you have to run it like a business and you're Juan Soto and you say last night after game, I understand this is a business. And fans want to treat it like a game, which it is a game. You grow up playing this game. You do it for fun. It, you do it and teach it to your own kids for reasons that have nothing to do with the business. Um, so there's kind of a, a an inevitable, unavoidable tension there between the, the emotional attachment you have to this player who you saw come up at 19, who you saw take Garrett Cole deep uh, in the World Series, um, who you saw blossom right in front of you into a, a player that I'm not, I'm not kidding you guys. Like when you talk to people around the league and I'm almost hesitant to put into columns, the comps that, that these people are making about what Juan Soto could be or already is as a, as a hitter. It's, it's the best hitters who have ever picked up a bat. Um, that's amazing to think about. So I get the anger and the frustration, and I particularly understand it when it's folded in, you know, either fairly or not, with the departures of Harper and Rendon and, and Turner. Um, but I also think it's it's fair to say that this is a rebuilding process that's very, very similar to 2009 and 2010. The difference is they had a tradable chip that could really inject a whole lot of life at a whole lot of levels throughout the organization. Um, and I, I just kind of come back to that conclusion that, that they're better today than they were yesterday. Poor Josh Bell. is <laughs> In Juan Soto's shadow here in D.C. And he, he's had a better year, frankly, in some areas. I mean, he's cut down on his strikeout rate at an, a, a rate that is astounding to me. He's done a lot of good things, a 384 on base, and, and right now a 300 hitter going to San Diego is going to be a massive impact for them down the stretch, and no one's really talking about him. What a gnat he was. You know, They acquired him in another deal that Rizzo won with Pittsburgh. He got off to a really bad start last year, but remember, Barry, he had COVID. I was told he had like a 104 temperature at one point and really had some effects, and because of that was chasing his tail for a few weeks. But if you go back to like a month and a half into last year to now, he was a sensational Nationals player and in the community was awesome. Just a thought on Josh Bell and the idea of doing what they did last year, packaging guys together to get the most back, which seems like it has worked now twice for them to get a nice haul. Well, and I would say that, um, you know, you're right about the kind of impact he had in a short time, not just in the lineup, but but in the clubhouse and in the community. I mean, this is a just a bouncy, awesome personality just perfect person to have around. And, and you're right about the COVID too. I mean, I think his, his slow start was directly attributable to that. And he's been excellent since that. I think the question that I don't think I'll end up understanding at the end of today, and I don't completely understand even going back to last year is, you know, someone suggested to me, if you, if you buy, you pay more for one can of soda than you do for 
on a per can basis in a 12 pack, right? So if you split up Bell and, and um, Soto, couldn't you get more than you do for them in a package? I, I don't know that we'll ever know the end of, uh, the answer to that. The, the bottom line is not trading one. I mean, not trading Josh Bell today would have been malpractice. He's, he's on an expiring deal. He's the one player you have other than Soto who could bring back something interesting. If the deal got enhanced by even one of those names um, with the Padres because Bell was included or one and a half or, you know, a new guy plus an upgrade over somebody else that was going to be in it, then, then that's awesome. And they absolutely did the right thing. I mean, we we could not stand here at 6 PM on Tuesday and say, Josh Bell is still a national. What a great job guys. That, that would not have been um, the right thing, even though, as you said, he's, he's kind of everything you wanted since you traded for him. We chatted with Jim Callis about the hole the Nats got back as far as the prospect package. Let's go through who they got back. Start with a guy with some major league service time here. I guess a couple of them do, but uh, Mackenzie Gore. What's his ceiling? How good is he now? Give you kind of state of the union. Yeah, well, I mean, he's hurt right now, but, like, you know, hopefully it isn't anything too serious. But, I mean, we, we saw before he got hurt this year, this was a guy who was a number three overall pick in the draft, who was the best pitching prospect in baseball at one point. I mean, that, you know, assuming he's healthier when he gets back to full health, that will be your, your number one starter in Washington. And, I mean, as you guys probably know, I know Grant does, I, I'm probably as big a McKenzie fan, McKenzie Gore fan as there is out there. So, I mean, you're getting a potential, you know, front line, you know, build a rotation around type of guy. 72 strikeouts, 70 innings, 66 hits this year for the Padres. He got off to an unbelievable start, then really struggled before this injury, and fingers crossed it was an elbow that he left his last start with, but it's not anything lengthy. All right, but we won't go in the order of kind of impact. We, we could ask you that later, but let's just go with the next guy chronologically. Nats Park, we'll see him this week. C.J. Abrams is in the big leagues. He's been playing shortstop for the Padres. He's another blue-chip type player who was drafted sixth overall, flew through the minors, was a pick in 2019, the MLB results have not been great yet, but uh, what do you make of him? He's still very young. He's 21 years old. Yeah, and, and you know, you have C.J. Abrams. You got to cut him some slack. I mean, not that, that you in particular weren't Grant, uh, Grant, but you know, the thing is, you know, with the injury he had last year in the pandemic, he just hasn't even played that many games. Uh, honestly, like he's played in his career 106 games in the minor leagues, and he's 21 and in the big leagues. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's got. You know, uh, you know, game-changing speed. I think he's he's he could be a 15 to 20 home run guy. Bat to ball skills. Even though he's not putting up big numbers, he's not striking out excessively. Um, he's got defensive versatility. I think he could play short. I think at worst he winds up in center. So I mean, you're looking at a middle diamond player. You know, probably a guy who bats toward the top of your lineup. I mean. I'm not saying he's going to be this good, but I guess if I'm the Nats, I'm dreaming that, hey, maybe this guy can give us some of what Trey Turner used to give us. 334 minor league hitter, by the way, in parts of three seasons. Yep. With a 910 OPS. So the results were absolutely there in the high minors. And as you said, with little experience at 21, he's already here. uh, Great. I was going to say four or five years younger than his competition in those leagues, too. Yep. He, he was one of the youngest guys in the leagues he was playing in most of the time, also. Jim Callison will be pipeline with us here on, on Grant and Danny. All right, let's go down the list here. Robert Hassel sounds like a really promising young hitter, only 20 years old. 
Yeah, you know, Hassel's a guy, uh, number eight overall pick in the draft um, a couple of years ago. You know, he they call him you know Bobby Barrels because he makes a lot of line drive contact. I, th- I think he's a hit over power guy, but I think you can get to average power there. He's a solid runner, good arm. I think he's got a shot to play center. If he doesn't play center, then I think he's a right fielder. I mean, we're, we've just talked about, what, three guys who went in the top eight picks of their drafts. What can we see Hassel in the major leagues, do you think? What's his timeline? Um, well, I mean, he's still pretty young. I mean, he was a high school guy drafted in, in, in 2020. Uh, you know, he's you know hasn't even gotten to double A yet. I mean, he's playing pretty well in high A, and, and you could promote him theoretically. I mean, realistically... Uh, you know, probably 2024, you know, late 2023, you know, you, you got to play the whole service time game still, but you know, he's not, I mean, he's only 20 years old. So he's, he, I mean, he's still pretty young, but he's, he's handling high A very well, you know, for his age. And maybe, maybe you give him a little cup of coffee in the end of next year. And then he's competing for an everyday job in 24, which is the more likely year I'd say for James Wood, Jim, who's a little bit further off. He's 19 years old. It's actually a Rockville, Maryland guy. I know you've got some family in the area here, but he, he played some high school basketball in D.C. before going to IMG Academy. And what I was told was this is a, a guy that the Padres did not want to part with. The part of the reason for Bell's involvement and some of these other moving parts for the Nationals was James Wood was pertinent on both sides of this thing. Why do you think that is? Yeah, well, because he, he's got exciting upside. I mean, when, when C.J. Abrams coming into the year and McKenzie Bort both – both were still on our prospects list. They hadn't graduated to the major leagues, and they, they technically have now because they've exceeded the rookie limits, you know, at least from our list standards. But I had people telling me inside the Potters organization, outside of C.J. Abrams, that, that people, including A.J. Preller, thought James Wood was their number two prospect. He was a, a second-round pick in, in last year's draft, but he got first-round money. And he's 6'7", 240, left-handed hitter, well above average raw power, plus speed, strong arm. You know, the, the reason he went in the second round, even though he got paid in the first first round money last year, was he had a rough spring at IMG Academy in Brainton, Florida, and there was a lot of swing and miss, and guys worried about his ability to hit. And since he's coming to pro ball, like the swing and miss has not been excessive. And he, and I mean, it's small sample size at the low levels, but he's hit, he's hit 336. He's drawn a fair amount of walks, and, and you feel a lot better about his hitting. I mean, the, the interesting parallel is, and that same IMG Academy team obviously had Elijah Green, who the Nationals just took with their first-round pick. And Elijah Green came into this year's draft with some swing-and-miss questions, not as severe as James Wood, uh, and he had a better spring than James Wood did at, at IMG. But you know, you, you could make a case. Well, I think there is no case. Elijah Green had the highest ceiling of any player in this year's draft. His tools were crazy. You could probably make a case that James Wood had the highest ceiling of any of the high school players in last year's draft. Like, like there's, there's some boomer bust risk there, but the ceiling is, is huge. And now they, they, they have that guy two years in a row. So anyway, that, that's why the Potters are reluctant to give him up, is you were worried about the swing and miss, and he's hit the ground running so well that I think you're feeling a lot better about his hitting ability. And if James Wood hits, he might be, you know, he'll probably be the, he could be the best player in this deal. He, like, he, he probably has the highest, I mean, you could be talking, you know, 30-30, you know, if you want to dream, I don't know, 40-40 type of guy. You know, he's got that ceiling. Um, so he's pretty exciting. And that was the next question, which you kind of answered. But if this goes well, because I view him as kind of boomer bust a little bit, and for the record, I was already a little bit wrong about him because I was worried about the swing and miss. It's one of the reasons I was lower on Elijah Green before this draft and the swing adjustment he's made 
has already been really impressive, and, and now it's too late. Like, I got out of the business. I can't get back in. You need to get in on the <laughs> You're ground. You're too late. You can get back in. You can get back <laughs> no, in. It's we'll too late. He's in. out, Jim. He's but, out. No, I, I've been in for a couple of months. I'll say that. But here's here's the point. Like, if this works, what does it look like? And you kind of answered that, but I'd ask the same about Hassel as well. Yeah, I, I, I mean, to me, Hassel's floor stands out more than his ceiling. And I don't mean that as a negative, but, I mean, to me, Hassel's a guy who the upside is like he's a, a 280, you know, 300 hitter, 20 home runs, plays a solid center field. But, but I think his floor is higher. Like, like I don't see – I'd be shocked if Robert Hassel isn't at least like a 270, 15 home run dude who can play a, a good right field. Jim Callison will be pipeline with us here talking about the hall, the – Nationals got returned for Juan Soto and um, what am I blanking on his name? Josh Bell, goodness gracious. Four of their now top ten prospects, according to most folks, are acquired here in this trade. Last but not least, Charlton Susana, only 18 years old. What do we know about him? Yeah, no, he's he's another super exciting, super young fiscal guy. He's 18 years old, 6'6", 235. He was the top pitcher on the international market this year. He signed for $1.7 million back in, in January, and I mean, he already touches the upper 90s with his fastball. He touches the upper 80s with his slider. He, you know, he, and, and for a guy who's that young, um, he throws a reasonable amount of strikes. He's not just, okay, here's this raw thrower, and we're going to have to take time to polish him up. You know, he's not Greg Maddox or anything, but, like, he's throwing a promising amount of strikes. And, uh, you know, again, I mean, he'd probably, I mean, if you were lining these guys up, I, I guess you'd consider him the fifth player in the deal. But if the fifth player in the deal is an 18-year-old 6'6 dude who's, throwing 99 with an 89-mile-an-hour slider at his best, that's a pretty good fifth player to get in the deal. Yeah, no kidding. So I guess we can end it here. How do you think they did compared to all the rumors and all the thoughts over the last few weeks? Um, yeah, I mean, this is it, – it's funny. I, I thought the Dodgers, because of the, the money they have, you know, in terms of maybe signing him long, Soto long-term, and the talent they have in the majors and minors, were best positioned to go get Juan Soto. But then the flip side, and I said this on MLB Network this morning, is you just felt like after the way the Max Scherzer-Trey Turner trade went down last year where the Potters thought they were getting Scherzer and how aggressive A.J. Preller is, you kind of felt like A.J. Preller was not going to come in second. It was just going to be like he will do what it takes. And I think – in terms of you know getting the most you were going to get for, for Soto and, and Josh Bell is in the trade, they got five really really high ceiling prospects here. I mean, like I said, Hassel maybe the floor stands out a little bit more for ceiling. But if we, we want to talk ceiling here, you could have you know frontline starter Mackenzie Gore. You could have a you know theoretically a 300 hitter stolen base champ and C.J. Abrams who plays up the middle. You know, I just put 30-30 on James Wood. You know, ceiling for Robert Hassel, he's another 300 hitter with 20 homers who plays up the middle. And Susana, you know, is 18 and he's throwing 99. Like, there's there's an awful lot of ceiling there. And you think Hassel stays in center, by the way, or moves to a corner? I, I think it's kind of on the bubble. I mean, I, I think that's one of those where... I, thought. I interviewed him at Futures game a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And just not that standing next to him means a whole lot. He looked good in the game playing center. But I, I was surprised with kid. how tall he is. Yeah, he's he's kind of kind of you know lanky, a little bit lanky. I mean, I think he's got a chance to play in center. I don't think he's got that classic plus speed you think of the center fielder. I think his instincts are pretty good. I think it's one of those that comes down to who's on your big league club when he gets to the big leagues. You know, you know, you could have a better center fielder, and I think his bat will will be enough to be in the corner. And at the same token, he might be good enough to stay in center. Jim, great info, buddy. Appreciate it on a busy day. Yeah, no problem. Uh, it's, uh, we'll, we'll see what else the Nationals do. I don't know if they have more moves left, but uh, a lot of exciting young talent coming your way. 
Then we got a call from Mackenzie Gore before he jumped on the plane to come to D.C. Uh, yes, I mean, yesterday was pretty normal. Um, you know, uh, Padres had doubleheader today, so I just went into the field early doing some uh, – to go do some rehab stuff, and then it kind of all happened once I got to the field. So, uh, yeah, crazy morning. At this point, you, you're you one of the centerpieces of a deal for one of the best players in the history of the game. When you think about it, right? Juan Soto is in this unbelievable class. Uh, his historical comps are guys like Ted Williams and Mickey Mantle and some of the best to ever do it. You're part of a deal in, in, in trade for him. That's got to be pretty flattering, no? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, he's obviously one of the best players in the game. Uh, fun to watch. And we all knew that, you know, if, that was going to happen that, you know, I knew that there was a chance that I could be in D.C. So, um, yeah, he's a great player, and I'm just I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to it. 70 innings this season in the big leagues and 72 strikeouts for Mackenzie Gore, whose ERA is a little over four, which is misleading because he was just so dominant at the start of this season. Take us through your, your 2022, Mackenzie, because – it got off to the fast start, then you hit a little bit of, of a wall there, and now you're dealing with an injury on, on the IL. So just give us an idea of what this year's been like for you to this point. Yeah, so the first two months were uh, were a lot of fun. <laughs> and um, When you don't give up a run, I, I tend to be It's pretty neat, pretty fun, I guess, right? if you yeah. like that. Uh, yeah, So, but yeah, we hit a little wall here uh, last month, month and a half. And, um, so, and, and then, you know, the, the arm injuries, you know, it's minor, so – um, so that was good news, and yeah, just trying to get back where I can get back to pitching well. So that's what I wanted to just ask on behalf of kind of Nats fans is just to get an update on the arm. When you hear, hey, elbow discomfort, I think was the terminology used, and you left the start, that's kind of ominous. Can you give us an idea of just what's going on and what you think the timeline is like to pitch again? Yes, yeah, so it's minor. Um, the timeline, I'm not sure, uh, but, you know, it's not crazy long. We just got to – we're going to have to see how it – how it is, you know, the next week or two, and then hopefully start throwing at some point and, you know, getting ready to get back in the game. Mackenzie Gore with us here on Grant and Danny, a brand new national as of only a few hours ago. Uh, Mackenzie, give us a scouting report. Give give a little self-scouting about the repertoire and how you like to attack hitters. Yeah, you know, I have four pitches, fastball, changeup, curveball, and slider. Um um, best when you know I'm locating fastballs and attacking the zone with that, and kind of mixing the off speed when needed. So, um, yeah, guy going to compete, um, like to win, and you know, going to attack the zone. So. I, I always like to ask that question of pitchers and hear them give kind of their order of operations. You said fastball, changeup, slider, curveball. Your changeup, well. Frankly, your whole repertoire uh, is disgusting, but your changeup is really, 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 really good. I think you feel like that's your your best pitch. Um, not honestly, the changeup is probably the worst pitch. Um, so the uh, the curveball and slider, I've definitely been a little ahead of the changeup so far this year. Um, I've used the changeup more uh, probably after the first month or so, but it's definitely a pitch that you know has a chance to you know get people out and. But the spin has been a little better so far this year. So, Mackenzie, how how many times have you been to? How familiar are you with DC? I know you know, obviously <laughs> being in San Diego, working your way up through the minors. You're a North Carolina kid. What do you know about the district? I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't I don't think I've ever been, so I don't know a whole lot. 
Well, um, we can be your tour guides when it comes to food. That's about all we can cover for you. You'll have to find other people for other more important things. But we can help you if you... I don't know what you like. If you like barbecue or steaks, we'll point you in the right direction. Yeah, that's important. So I'm, uh, I might have to take you up on that. <laughs> and as we told you, David Aldridge, a season ticket holder, a great writer with The Athletic, renowned and respected media member in D.C., didn't really know how to feel. Well, it's funny because I'm trying to decide about, you know, I, 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 I'm writing, but it's very difficult for me to separate writing as kind of a dispassionate observer like we're supposed to and writing as a Washingtonian who has season tickets, whose two kids love Juan Soto, <laughs> you know, and whose two teenage boys hearts were broken when I had to explain to them why Bryce Harper wasn't here anymore. <laughs> and when they were little kids and, and what I could tell them was, but Trey Turner's still here. <laughs> But Juan Soto's still here. We'll get to see them. And now they're literally, I, I swear to God, this is their reaction today. Well, at least they didn't trade him to the Dodgers. That was their reaction. Wow. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's, that's not a good reaction. <laughs> no. you know? It's like res- so, resignation. They were going to trade him, but yes, at least it's a team that exactly. doesn't really break my heart. At least it wasn't to the Dodgers. You know, like, and so... Man, I don't know. This is a tough one for me. This really is a tough one for me. David, in your opinion, how did we get here, and who do you blame for that? Well, I, it's, it's, blame is a, is a pejorative word, which I don't like to use. I think I understand that circumstances may have made it very difficult to keep them past today, right? I get that. I understand Turn down 440. I get it. Like, I'm not stupid. I get it. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. You can argue about the AAV. You cannot argue about the AAV. A lot of money. He said no. I get it. Um, I think 2020 hurt more than we're ever going to know. I think having no revenue and no fans in the building for an entire year hurt more than we're ever going to really understand. Um, the massive thing has always been there. This is what I told somebody else. Is it a factor? Yes. But it can't explain all of these decisions. You can't, any more so than you would say there's a downturn in the, in the market for, you know, the mall market. And they took a beating on, on mall because people, people don't go to malls anymore. They just order from Amazon. I get it. Yes, that's impactful. It is a factor. It is a factor. It is hard to say that explains every decision that they have made the last few years. Whether it's giving deferred, offering deferred money, money to Rendon, deferred money to Harper, Moving on from Trey Turner with a year and a half left, moving on from one sort of with two and a half years left. It's not any one move. It's the whole series of moves that makes it difficult to swallow. That's all I'm saying. Everything in a vacuum makes sense, but you, but fans don't experience things in a vacuum. They experience them all at the same time. Right? So it's just hard to kind of say, yeah, but there was COVID and that was bad. Yeah. But you know, Angelos is, a jerk because he's not giving us our money. Yeah, you know, all of those things. At the end of the day, you own a major league team. You got to pay for great players. That's never going to change. That's never going to change. And if I look at the Atlanta Braves, who just signed a fourth impactful player to a long-term extension yesterday, I have the right to say, why are they able to do it? And the Nets can't seem to do it. It's a great question. David Aldridge of The Athletic is with us. 
Now, obviously, the, the, the first thing I would say, I know it's a rhetorical question, is none of those guys are Boris clients. And he looks at those deals and says, those are terrible deals for the, the player. Should they stop doing business with Scott Boris, I guess? I mean, if, if... I mean, I'll put it to you this way, Grant. I don't want to hear any more about the special relationship Scott Boris has with the learners. Same. It's over. Done. <laughs> yeah. no it ain't more. that special. Don't mention, you ain't don't ever mention it again. <laughs> I don't ever want to hear that sentence uttered by anybody in this organization again. Yeah. It's over. And that's okay. And by the way, I'm not blaming Scott Boris. That's his job. His job is to find his job is to get six hundred million dollars for Juan Soto. I get it. That's his job. I'm not angry with him. All I'm saying is that there's no He's gotten one guy has given us a hometown discount. He's given this city a hometown discount. Steven Strasburg. That's it. That's, That's true. It. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Uh, I hate to say how should fans be feeling, David, because, I mean, it's up to everyone to feel how they want to feel. But, I mean, what's your thought on that? And, and you said you're not really sure how you're going to go about the column yet. I'm, I'm, I want to dive a little more into that before we let you go. I mean, as, yep. a, as a season ticket holder, do you, do you come back to the well next year? Like... How are you feeling about this? I mean, you know, you have to come. You have to. You guys were mentioning before I came on. I'm not paying the same price next year. I'm going for like, well, how could you? How could you possibly ask someone to pay the same price they're paying now? How? How? You can't. It's not a, that's not the same team that I paid tickets. You know, paid happily for five years ago. Like, you know, it's not. So we'll see what happens. Um, I don't know. I love baseball. My kids love baseball. We like going to baseball games, you know. So it's different. Um, it's a different experience, um, you know. So we went to a game last weekend, and Josh Bell had a three-run homer to win the game, and that was cool. And so I was working last night, but you know, Juan hit the, hit the home run off his off his shirt. It gets back to that emotional moment. Like that's an emotional moment, right? In a lost season. You can at least say, I saw Juan Soto step up to the plate against Max Scherzer and take him out. <laughs> what is that? What, what's the cost of that? What's the, what's the benefit? What's the value of that for a fan? I would say it's a lot more than their 30 games under 500. We all get that they're bad. We know they're bad. But what is that worth to my son? You know? <laughs> and that's. That's, I don't know how to answer that. It's a difficult question to answer. And I just hope going forward, whoever buys this team understands that those moments are much, are much more about did they win or lose the game last night. Because there's too many games to, to make it all about winning and losing. When you, when you buy into a baseball team, it can't just be about did they win. It has to be about was it worth it for me to bring my family out of here? Or was it worth it for me as a 15-year-old to come out and watch this? And with Soto, it was always, yeah, it was worth it. I wrote about this last week. We came to the game on July the 4th, 11 a.m. game. Marlins aren't very good. Nats are terrible. It was a terrible game. It was a boring game, 1-1 in the eighth. <laughs> Nobody cares. Soto didn't start because he had the calf injury. So they sent him in the pinch hit at the bottom of the eighth. The place went nuts, as it should have. Because <laughs> you didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know if he was going to hit a ball 500 feet or not. You didn't know. And, again, I would, I would just hope that going forward people understand that those moments matter. There were something. In a lost season that nobody's going to remember that game 10 years from now, 10 months from now, nobody's going to remember that game. But I'm going to remember 
that this place went absolutely insane when Juan Soto stepped out to the plate in a meaningless game on the July 4th. And that has value to a franchise. It's got to be worth something. It's got to mean something to ownership going forward. And you know we had to tap into 2019 for a little nostalgia. One fewer national on the roster from that championship team. Spanky, Adam Eaton, joined us to discuss Juan Soto being moved. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a unique situation. It really is. Um, you know, he, he is, for me, a once-in-a-lifetime player. He, his, his mental makeup, his personality, um, and, of course, what he can do on the field is just very, very, very unique um, and uh, doesn't come around very often. With that being said, it seems that the Nationals are kind of in a hard uh, a tough position because they want to rebuild and they, they want to rebuild in a, a timely fashion for the sake of the fan base and, uh, you know, the sake for, of you know, really the fan base and, and the city uh, itself. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's a tough situation to be in. Um, do you, I guess if you're Rizzo's standpoint, do you see the organization rebuilding around Soto with the 400 and 400, $440 million plus contract? And, and what time frame does that set you in? Or do you go out, you sell him, and uh, you get uh, hopefully four or five, uh, you know, possibly six top uh, top prospects to hopefully, um, you know, between five and seven years to be able to rebuild. You know, and that was uh, Rizzo's never been <laughs> shied away from big uh, big staples like that. So um, I'm not surprised, to be honest with you. I'm really not surprised, but. Um, hopefully, like the hopefully these guys pan out, and hopefully they can have success in the future. Adam, you know we got to know Soto just a little bit through interviews and and the like. We're just wildly impressed with him. But you got you guys were in the clubhouse every day. I tell you this: if I was 20 years old and put up the season he did in in 2019 for you guys, I'd be insufferable. I would walk around and nobody could tell me anything. I'd be the worst kind of dude ever. I, I don't get the sense he was that way. It, just talk about the guy. I mean, what kind of teammate was he as a twenty-year-old with all with some of you elder statesmen guys in, in their you know in their thirties, grown men with families in the like. What was it like to have him as a teammate? It's it's a lot. Yeah, it's again. That's why I think he's a once in a lifetime uh, player because you would a hundred percent agree. I, I think the game changes a lot of guys. It it. Um, Especially at that age, I mean, maturity-wise, you know, I like we've had that conversation. I was, you know, when I was 20 years old, I was trying to steal steal beer when I was coming home from uh, college out of my dad's fridge. I mean, it was just a different mindset. This guy's won a World Series. He's on cloud cloud nine, but he comes to the ballpark being the exact same human being every single day. You, he couldn't, he didn't get in trouble. Like we would try to find things to say on the on the bus and on the mic and try to make fun of him or, you know, get underneath his skin. But he didn't give us any am- ammunition where, you know, most all young players, especially that good, would say a ton of dumb things in the media, like myself. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm well-renowned for that, you know. And, and But he just he would say to himself when he was around the boys um, in the clubhouse, he would listen, he would learn, even when you didn't even think he was listening and learning. He, he, he's just he's, – he's, such a student of the game. I mean, I think he's the definition of it. Um, I think we've talked about this, and I think the Yankee player, you know, Yankee people would um, get mad at me for saying this, but, you know, watching the documentary on Jeter, I think there's a lot of parallels. Um, you know, maybe not so much playing-wise and, you know, him being shortstop in a big city, but 
just his demeanor to win and when when you know whenever he goes up against anybody as well as learning being in the right position at all times um, learning pitch to pitch instead of you know week to week uh, in a big league season he's again he's just a he's a very very unique person and um, he's again just like Jeter said he's he's one of those guys when you're on the field he doesn't care about any personalities he wants to win and if you want to win he wants to win too it's just like I said it's He's just he's made out of different cloth and all doing it um, before, you know, the age that is appropriated, you know, in, in Major League Baseball, which is what, you know, your prime's 27 plus to 31, which it might change nowadays because, you, know, you know, everyone might be in their prime a little earlier. But, you know, it's just amazing at the age that he's at that he's doing that, thinking that way, acting that way, and uh, all the veterans loved it. Adam Eaton is with us on Grant and Danny, 19 World Series hero and a part of uh, the most successful team in Nats history. The fans, and you are in some way, I'm sure, a fan from afar still of the organization, but that are here in D.C., I mean, think about them, like how quickly this has all changed. We were just recounting who's left from that team, and it's, I forgot Anibal Sanchez, who, believe it or not, is still in the big leagues pitching right now. But you have him. He's back. He had a 6 ERA two years ago, out of baseball last year, and right now he's, he's 20% of the rotation. Then you got Corbin, who has a couple years left on his deal, and then Robles. But, I mean, what's your take on just how quickly this changed? Like Ron Burgundy style, that escalated quickly. Three years ago, you guys won the title, and now it's it's kind of like a who's who over there. You're trying to, to thumb through a program. Well, if it doesn't show you that Major League Baseball is a business, I don't know what it would. I mean, it's kind of a sad part, too, because you would think if you were, you know, let's go – you know, transport back to 2019, we just won the World Series. If you and I were doing an interview a month past, you're looking at the roster saying, man, we could be pretty good for a little while now. You know, we got, uh, you know, you know, I was under control. You know, we were trying to bring back Howie. We had, you know, Suzuki, Jan. We had, you know, Strauss, Max, uh, you know, all the boys. We're, we're, we were supposed to be good for a couple years after that. COVID hit, did not help. Uh, I'm sure it did not help the pocketbook of the owners. It didn't help, the, you know, uh, of the of the city in general. And I think that, for me, had a little bit of effect on it. And all of a sudden it was like, uh, from the, you know, the outsider's perspective, is now we won the World Series. We, we've pushed all of our chips and we've won a huge hand, one of the biggest hands we've ever won. Now do we, do we uh, fold a couple years in a row and, and try to maintain those chips? Or do we keep playing the hot hand and hopefully, you know, um, we, we make it through, and I, I think they decided to fold for a couple of years and hopefully try to regroup and, and, and kind of, you know, collect those winnings and then, you know, down down the road in a couple of hands, say 10 years, I would say, it might take before they're good again. Um, it, it's, it is what it is. It's a business. It's part of it, and, and uh, it's tough it's tough to watch because, like you said, I'm a, I'm a Nationals fan. We'll be for the rest of my life, and Enjoy watching the uh, the club, the clubhouse, and the and the guys from afar, and, and rooting for you guys again for the rest of my life. But it's it's going to they have to be a lot of patience in in D.C., Virginia, and Maryland, a lot of patience. So hopefully, um, when we come back from our 10 year anniversary, hopefully uh, the team will be will be relevant again because you got to think about it. You're going to have controllables, these young guys that they just got from San Diego. Um, you're going to have those guys controllable, hopefully for the next six to seven years, depending on when they're called up. And then you got to wrinkle in like a Jason Worth and other guys to kind of bring along the clubhouse and a Max Scherzer. And that's uh, that's going to take some time. So hopefully everyone's got the pa- patient pants on. 
<laughs> Adam, when 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 you were here, you guys won an awful lot of ball games, and and the payroll reflected that. It was a top ten payroll. You know, talking about expenses, but the reputation of this ownership, whether they you know whether it's fair or not, is that there's a lot of penny pinching that goes on at times. Nickel diamond, you know, whether it's facilities, whether it's minor league stuff, whether it's you know paying a coach or or the staff or whatever. Did you ever experience any of that? I mean, again, you guys earn your money at the at the top of this. Uh, you know, the one millionth of one percent whoever pick up a baseball bat. So at the major league level, maybe for you guys, it, it wasn't this way, but did you ever observe some of that where it was some of that nickel diamond that's, that's kind of followed them around? You, you, you do in most cases with all organizations besides maybe the top three to four, um, you know, you, you, you can imagine the organizations that I'm talking about. Most of those organizations are is about as nice as you can get and anything you ask for, you get. And then, then the, the rest of the organizations throughout the, the big leagues, there are some things, and and again, you know, it's petty, um, little complaints that you have, but it, there is some definitely little situations here and there. We're like, oh my goodness, come on, like that's that's not a huge ask, and let's make it happen. As well as, um, you know, when it comes to formulating a team, but again, it's all opinion. You know, I you know I don't know the books, I don't know, you don't know what actually goes on behind closed doors with the the financials and whatnot, or what type of margins there are. And uh, you can speculate all day, um, but, you know, there's a reason those people are in those situations. And, and uh, like I said, it's hard to comment on that. But, again, from a player standpoint, most organizations, you always have little things here and there that you're like, hey, come on now. It's not that uh, big of a deal. You know, they're, uh, most owners' incomes is, <laughs> is uh, hmm. public knowledge as well. So, like I said, it's, it's part of it. It's part of it. But, like I said, I, I have no complaints uh, on a, the major scale of things, especially with the Nationals. Um, I always enjoyed the heck out of the organization. Like I said, I still root for them through and through. And everybody that's involved, I mean, I was so welcomed with open arms when I was traded there in 17 and then gotten in, you know, getting injured and just top to bottom. There's some uh, some really, really quality human beings in that organization that I'll forever be thankful for. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. All right, we'd be remiss if we didn't get a little fan perspective from Darius. So long day. Where are we at, man? How are we, how are we feeling? It, it, it has been a long day. And as I sit here looking at my computer screen, I have a tweet from Fox Sports MLB, at MLB on Fox. And it's a, a graphic that says, Washington Nationals notable departures since the end of 2018. And it's pictures of Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon, Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, now Juan Soto. I think the part that hurts is the franchise kept telling us, well, the next guy. We'll resign the next guy. Yeah, we'll re- we'll resign the next guy. That's the part that hurts. But 
the baseball fanatic in me understands that this was the best route for us to go. This is how we're going to get better sooner. And it's exciting. You know, you pull up the Nationals' top prospects now. Robert Hassel's already our number one. He's already leaped Kate, Kate Cavalli's our number one prospect. James Wood is already our number four prospect. Uh, Su- Susana is already our number eight prospect. It's exciting in that aspect. We definitely are going to need some time to grieve over the loss of our World Series hero and our homegrown superstar that was Juan Soto. It's going to hurt seeing him in that brown uniform when they come visit us here in a couple weeks. We didn't even talk way, about that. Yeah, we didn't yeah, mention geez. The Padres are here next weekend. Of course they trade them to a team that's going to be here next weekend. And everyone was like, oh, just trade them out west to San Diego or some team where we'll we never, never have, have to, to see them next week. Yeah. yeah. Both to the 14th. If they were to trade them to the Dodgers, we were, we were already done playing the Dodgers this year. So it would have been, you know, whatever. We'll see them on, you know, the on some playoff game or whatever. But, yeah, once we get past that point, I think that's where we can then kind of lock in and move on and get ready and prepare for some of these youngsters to come up and – and hopefully make the future look a lot brighter. Have you talked with any of your buddies yet, like about buy, like that buy tickets or seeing tickets? Like I, I haven't. Have I you haven't. heard anyone be like, "I'm out, I'm done." <laughs> I haven't. I have my uh, my one buddy, uh, Kirk. He's he uh, he's like, "Hey, give me a call tonight when you get home. Uh, we we got to talk about this." Uh, so we're looking forward to having a conversation uh, with a, a close hardcore diehard Nats fan. But um, but yeah, I, I haven't really talked to anybody yet. I've just been kind of hardcore locked in on what's been going on here today. You know, I, <laughs> I would imagine, though, that emotions are high, but they'll simmer down over the next couple of weeks or so. Yeah, and if these players are good, I think over time. It's going to take a minute, People though, are like, I'm yeah. not going to go back to Nats Park for two years. Okay, well, hopefully you come back when they're good, and hopefully they're good sooner. Yeah. And hopefully this works. All right, well, thanks for listening to Bustin' Loose Baseball. We do this twice a week, at least every single week. We've got another episode coming out Thursday night. Danny? People got to keep listening, keep spreading the word. We want to grow this thing. Very simple to find us on the Odyssey app, Spotify, Apple Pods, Google Play, anywhere you can find us, Bustin' Loose Baseball. Very easy to search. There's a chartable link as well that's a nice little hub for each and every place that you all like to listen to your podcast. But keep spreading the word. Tweet me at Funny Danny at Grant H. Paulson, what you'd like to hear on the program. But we'll have a lot more reactions, a lot more fallout from this Juan Soto deal. And, Darius, if people say something nice, you will read what they say that's nice about us on our podcast. Absolutely. Give us a review, a five-star review, and leave us a nice comment that we can read off on the podcast. Uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can review those podcasts, we'll read them off next episode. No shame. Zero shame. That's the key here. I, we had Kurt Tatro. We had That's Kurt right. Tatro give Jackson us a review. Jackson Tatro's dad gave us a review and said to get Jackson Tatro. And we read it. And we read we it. Shameless. It. That's what we do. Like the William H. Macy and Emmy Rossum TV show. That was really good, by the way. I still never watched it. It's just too many, too many seasons, too many episodes. All right, Boston Loose Baseball in the books. We're back at it on Thursday.